1: This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am sharing with you a beautiful interview with Caroline Holke. Caroline is a drink less life coach, and she helps women get rid of the shitty parts of drinking to create a life that they love. Now, one thing I've definitely noticed working with women who are trying to lose weight, it's that when we struggle with overeating, we often struggle with other ways to buffer emotions as well, including shopping, Netflix, social media, and also alcohol. It just seems so easy to reach for some chips and dip and a glass of wine at the end of a hard day when we're feeling stressed, bored, tired, or just need to escape all of the uncomfortable emotions that pile up on us at the end of the day. And just like we have very specific tools to help us overcome our overeating, there's also tools that we can use to help specifically with the over drinking. And of course, a lot of this all comes down to managing the thoughts and feelings that we have and learning how to process through our emotions and understanding that emotions are never going to kill us, that even if they feel uncomfortable in the moment, the worst that ever that is going to happen with them is that we're going to feel uncomfortable. It's nothing more than that. And so the deeper work of both overeating and over drinking alcohol is really improving that relationship with yourself, making a safe space for for you to really live your emotional life without having to turn to these external things to anesthetize them away for you. And so in addition to talking about that, we're going to talk about actual practical concrete tips that you can put in place in your life to help stop over drinking now. So without any further ado, here is the interview with Carolyn Holkey. Caroline, welcome to the Mindful Weight Loss podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited to have you here because although this podcast focuses on weight loss, what we find so often is that women who struggle with overeating struggle with over-drinking as well. And
1: that is your specialty when it comes to coaching. Yes, it is. And I find the same thing. I've got some clients that are (laughs) struggling with overeating, even though they came to me for over-drinking. Yes, Right. And mm-hmm. I'm sure, as this conversation goes,
0: we're gonna we're gonna get to the reasons why we see you know women struggling with both. But before we get there, let us hear about your journey. How did you become a
1: coach that specializes in drinking? Yeah, thank you. So my journey is probably pretty typical, certainly of my clients anyway, that my life looked great on paper. I had a, I was working in corporate America. I was in global marketing, um, flying all over the world and meeting with people, doing all this fun strategy stuff and married with two kids. Great job, great house, great family, all that kind of good stuff. But I knew that even though I didn't technically have a problem with drinking, I had a problem. I had a problem with drinking in terms of, I didn't like feeling like I was driving with the emergency brake on most days, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't living underneath a bridge with uh, (laughs) um, drinking out of a paper bag or anything like that. But I knew that I wasn't operating at my full potential. And Mm -hmm. I really started examining that once I realized that it wasn't binary, meaning that there was something in between the abstinence only model and Mm -hmm kind of feeling like I wasn't at my doing, I don't know, operating at my best, I would say. And, and once I realized that, then I found that my opportunities really opened up. So what that looked like was I, I started working with a coach, our coach. <laughs> and what it really appealed to me about her messaging was that it was about stop over drinking. It wasn't about stopping drinking. It was stopping the overing part, which is probably similar to what you're doing with your clients. It's like, stop over over overeating. Don't stop eating. True. (laughs) We're not going to advise that. (laughs) No, certainly not. Just the overing part. So, Mm. so that was really helpful to me. Okay. So for my journey, that was really appealing to me for my journey. I wanted to stop the overing part. So once I started working with this coach, then I realized that I could really get rid of the overing part. And that really appealed to me. And once I started learning these tools, then obviously it applies to so many other things in my life. I mm-hmm. found it so transform, transformational for myself that I decided to quit my corporate job and, you know, focus in on doing this for other women. And what I do now is I help women get rid of the shitty parts of drinking mm-hmm. and live a life that they love, that they wonderful don't want an amount of and how do you define the shitty parts of drinking hey that's the beautiful thing <clears throat> that's not up to me that's up to them fair
0: enough yeah. yeah fair enough i know when it comes to women and food you know the shitty parts of eating are often you know feeling out of control like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the food has all the power in the relationship mm-hmm. That you can't say no, that, you know, when you're in social situations that involve food, the food feels like the priority rather than, mm-hmm. you know, the, the other humans in the room, you know, right. all, all right. of these things that yeah. just leaves people feeling helpless,
1: yeah. really. Yeah. And, and the other and, thing I would add to that is like, you probably hear about food pushers. So mm-hmm. for alcohol, it's like, what are people going to think if I don't drink this?
0: Mm-hmm. I've even had
1: clients who, I have said that they tell people that they're hungover and that's why they're not drinking that day because they don't want them to think that they have a problem. So literally their, their primitive brain is telling them it's better for me to say that I'm hungover to kind of (laughs) give them further evidence that I do have a drinking problem than say, I just don't want to drink tonight.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when I was younger, I never had an interest in drinking. It just wasn't my thing Mm -hmm. when I was a young adult, but I'd like to hang out with my friends who were, you know, always questioned like, why aren't you drinking Michelle? And for a while I would say, you know what, I'm just the designated driver. And, you know, after a while that, you know, didn't fly either. And so, you know, my dad taught me to just always have, you know, a drink in my hand, you know, even if I wasn't drinking it Mm -hmm. and then people would leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I still, I still do that 20 years later. And, you know, isn't it, awful that we have to, you know, do these things. And we can't just simply say, you know, no, I don't want to drink or, you know, no, thank you. I don't want that cookie
1: or whatever it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do feel like the tides are turning a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. we've seen the popularity of dry January, for example, now it's popping Mm -hmm. up in different months obviously I'm in this space, so I'm looking at that, but I also look at how big alcohol is responding to that and they're going to respond if they see a dip in their revenue and and they're definitely on it. Yeah. I know that in the past, for example, there was some, there were some indicators that millennials were drinking less than previous generations. And so Mm -hmm. that's when we saw the introduction of the, the hard seltzers that was particularly specifically targeted towards that market. So, you know, they see they're watching trends and they're reacting to it. You know, from me, from my, perp- my perspective, I'm seeing that as, you know, that it's more than just the, the universe that I'm living in. It's not just my echo chamber, for example.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, certainly we see this with food too, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, the the food industry deliberately engineers food to be hyper palatable and Mm -hmm. extra delicious for us. And of course, big alcohol is going to do the same thing. I mean, you can't drive around town without seeing a billboard advertising, you know, beer or, you know, whatever. And these advertisements these days seem to be focused on that millennial sort of age group. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, I live up in northern Canada, and we'll often see, you know, beer commercials of like young people sitting around the campfire, you know, with the like, you know, the sporty jeep in the background and, right, right, and, and right. things like this. So, I mean, that definitely sends a certain message to to all of us, but to young people in particular,
1: absolutely. And I think that it's across the board. If you look actually at the media spend. Mm-hmm. Big, in the U.S., I don't know the Canadian numbers, but in the U.S. anyway, alcohol is the biggest media purchaser of any other category, with the exception of a couple times a year when the car industry actually has you know individual spurts. But in total, alcohol spends the most. And we all like to believe that we are <laughs> don't fall for these messages. I'm saying fall in quotes. You guys can't see me, but I'm doing my air quotes here. But But the fact of the matter is it works. Even if Mm -hmm. we're not a willing participant to it, we hear it enough that it becomes kind of embedded into our brains. And look, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying anything that there's anything wrong with drinking. You know, my message is that you can drink as much or as little as you want Mm -hmm. and learning how to manage your brain through this process is critical.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: And so
0: when a client who has struggled with over drinking comes to you, what has their journey typically looked like up until the point they they come to you?
1: Yeah. The journey is typically um, they start off with creating their own rules. So that could look like I'm only gonna have two drinks, you know, I'm only gonna drink on the weekend, or I'm only gonna have two drinks, or you know, sometimes I know that I went through a phase where I was only gonna drink scotch because I didn't like scotch. So that was gonna be a natural limiter for me. Mm-hmm. And you know, all sorts of things. Those rules typically do not work because they are not, they're not utilizing their prefrontal cortex. They're not using their brain, sorry, Mm -hmm. but they're not using the tools that to the most effective way. So what I do with my clients is we create a plan so we plan out 24 hours in advance because we're using our prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal mm-hmm. cortex is the part of the brain that, is, that makes us human. That's our executive brain. That's got all of our hopes and dreams in it. So mm-hmm. when we plan out 24 hours in advance, we are planning for our long-term benefits so that we can achieve the goals we want. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is in the moment, your primitive brain, which is wired to, to conserve energy, to Mm -hmm. seek pleasure, to avoid pain, that's going to start chirping at you. (laughs) and That's going to say, oh, come on, can't we just start tomorrow? Or you deserve this and all this kind of stuff. Right. So it's important to have the plan in place. And what I say to my clients is we want to, you want to talk to yourself more than you listen to your excuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. It's exactly the same
0: with food. You mm-hmm. know, when women mm-hmm. come to me, they have all the rules, yep. all the yep. rules that the diet industry has instilled in them. The, you know, don't eat fat, don't eat carbs, mm-hmm. don't eat don't eat after 8 PM, all, all, whatever, all of these rules they, they, they come with and they're absolutely miserable. And we do the same thing with food. We do the 24 hour plan and we decide ahead of time what we're going to eat for all of the reasons that, um, that, that you just talked about. And certainly in our programs, we do the same with alcohol as well, but there is often, you know, the question always comes up is, you know, is, is, is moderation better or is abstinence better? And this obviously isn't a conversation that we have with food. Cause as you mentioned earlier, we can't abstain. Yeah. You know, from yeah. Food. we, 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 we need the nourishment. Um, and most of the programs out there, not all, but most of the programs out there that, um, that deal with over drinking seem to promote abstinence, um, over, over anything else. Do you have any thoughts on, yeah, on that? I do.
1: I have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, um, I'm sure I think that, I think that's, what's beautiful about this space is that it's not an abstinence only model. And Mm. that's how, you know, when you asked me in the beginning, what, what are the shitty parts of drinking? That's up to the individual. So Mm. a lot of, quite a few of my clients just say, I want to be able to know that I can trust myself in order to go out to dinner with my friends and have two drinks and that's it. And Mm -hmm. not feel the deprivation and not feel any of that, any of the stuff that comes up after those, that second drink. Right. You know, there are some clients that are like, I'm done with it. I've tried this a million times and I want to just kind of put this to bed. I want to stop the mental chatter. So Mm -hmm. I I completely a thousand. Well, here's the thing. Here's what I say is that as long as you have a human brain then, and you use these tools and become practiced with using these tools, then you can absolutely do whatever you feel is right for you. When I look
0: at my clients who overeat and also struggle with overdrinking, certainly the underlying causes are exactly the same, right? They'll they'll overdrink in the similar situation to where they would you know, overeat. And it often just kind of depends on um, what the circumstances are. Is there food available? Is there drink available? What time of day it is? You know, all all of those things, but um, the underlying theme is usually, you know, trying to hide from some uncomfortable emotion that, that they don't want to sit with. Um, And so how, how do you walk your clients through that piece of it?
1: You know, that, that is the biggest part of the work. Mm-hmm. And until we really understand how to create emotional safety for ourselves, then it becomes a game of whack a mole. So, absolutely. yeah, maybe somebody's quit drinking and then all of a sudden they start vaping or overeating or whatever it is. So, it like jumped from one thing to, to the other because we haven't addressed mm-hmm. the underlying issue. And the mm-hmm. other underlying issue, as you absolutely said, is that we as a society, as a society do not like to feel negative emotions. Mm-hmm. A period. And why? Why would we when we can eat a cupcake or watch Netflix or scroll on our phones or whatever? There are so Absolutely. many immediate things that we can do to avoid it that we are trained from a very young age to not feel our emotions. And so mm-hmm. this is kind of leaning into it and saying, you know what? If I'm not, if you think about it very logically, if I'm not scared of feeling these emotions, then I don't have to create all of these negative behaviors in order to avoid them.
0: Right. It, yeah. It's
1: like finally, you know, being scared of the monk of the monster under the bed and creating this, all this angst around the monster under the bed when it's really not a monster. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. our bodies are designed to feel these emotions. We've lived through a hundred percent of the negative ones that have we've been given and yet when you think about, again, all of the negative, negative behaviors mm-hmm. that we create in order to avoid them, mm-hmm. that if we can just, you know, the, the, <laughs> the straightest path is right through it somebody
0: said, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said the best way around is through or something like this. I I, I forget how it it went, but absolutely true. And certainly this is the biggest and most difficult work when it comes to overeating. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times we find also that overeating in the face of uncomfortable emotions becomes habitual, right? And that, that primitive brain reaches for food before you've even become aware that there's an emotion Mm -hmm. right coming. Um, and, and so a lot of the work that we do with food, and I'm sure this is true with alcohol as well, is managing the urges that come up for, for, for food or drinks. Um, and so do you have any tips or strategies for managing urges
1: around alcohol? I do. I, yeah, I think that, it's probably the same thing with overeating that Mm -hmm. if we didn't have urges, then we would just decide period end of story. Like Mm -hmm. I'm done with this. I'm done with over drinking. I'm done with overeating period. But the reality Mm -hmm. is we do have urges. And so I actually have two tools that I use with my clients. I've got a cravings hack, which is a meditation. That Mm -hmm. they can download. I can offer that. I'm happy to offer that to your clients as well. You can download that, have it on their phone so that when it when the urge comes up, you just kind of excuse yourself for a couple of minutes and just go listen to that. And and it just helps to reground. Right. The other thing that I have is an urge interruption technique. And basically what I've done with that is I've taken from a couple different modalities. And it starts off with an interruption, meaning starting with EFT. Mm-hmm. with it which is tapping and i mm-hmm. like the fact that there's a physical aspect to it there's like a you know you kind of you feel it in your body you, you hit the karate chop part of your hand and mm-hmm. there're just a couple of phrases that you say to yourself like mm-hmm. even though i don't like this craving right now even though i don't like this urge i'm going to sit with it because i know that this is important to help me unwind this process right yeah the, and then it goes through a couple of other different things I find that to be very, very effective. And it, what's mm-hmm. interesting is that I was using that on myself because I, I, I'm I, familiar with this whack-a-mole concept because as I figured out my drinking, then all of a sudden it went to sugar <laughs> big time. And that's a very typical one. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. And And I'm a coach. I know this stuff, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I, I found that interruption was really, really effective for me. There was something about the physical aspect of it. It's like the wake up of, oh my gosh, I'm standing in front of the pantry. Hello. What am I doing here? How did this happen? Yeah. So that, those two things I, I find helpful. The other, the third thing I would say is just from a mind management standpoint is that you actually, what we're seeking is that dopamine hit from the food or from the alcohol, whatever it is. And you Absolutely. actually do get a dopamine hit by achieving a goal. Mm-hmm. And when we break it down into many goals, like my goal right now is to stick to my drink plan or stick to my, eat, my eating plan right. and allowing this urge. So if I frame it in that regard, then I, I do get a dopamine hit from mm-hmm. allowing that urge. Absolutely. Yeah, so- Absolutely. So you get the dopamine hit, which is fantastic. Yeah. And, then, and then in the big scheme of things, every single time you allow that urge, you're unwinding it. Right, absolutely. That was yeah. so powerful for me on my journey because mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the, let's start again tomorrow, the you deserve this, it's just one, all that right. nonsense goes yeah. away because every time counts. I right. mean, I'm making it stronger or I'm unwinding it
0: what do I want to do? Exactly. And I love that idea of using tapping to To pause with your urges as well. Um, tapping was something I only recently learned about, and I actually had um, an energy practitioner who who does tapping on the podcast um, a, f- a few weeks ago, and it was so exciting for me that I brought her into my coaching, you know, program to teach my clients really? um, how to do it. And it has been profoundly effective for for all of us. So I love that tool, and I I agree that the physical aspect is is important and mm-hmm. you know we we often talk about this concept of allowing urges and you know mm-hmm. what that means and um it's very difficult for people to 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 understand that as a concept right because we're we're taught what the diet industry anyway teaches us is that you have to resist your urges. Mm -hmm. You have Mm -hmm. to, you know, distract yourself and, 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 and the other things. And this is a really big reason why diets often fail is because you can only resist, you know, for so long, your brain needs that dopamine hit. It has to get it from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I, and I love that, you know, idea of teaching that allowing the urge um, and, you know, being successful with that is, is accomplishing a goal and you get that dopamine hit Mm -hmm. as well. Brain also loves collecting things, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if you write down every time, you know, you will allow an urge, you know, and, and see those accumulate, like you get a dopamine hit um, Mm -hmm. from, from, from that as well. And I think, I think once people start proving to themselves that they can, you know, sit with that urge, feel that urge and not give in and have a drink or a cupcake, you know, or, or whatever it is and how good that feels. Like, I I think that that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You, you just, you know, you know, you want to do more, more and more. It's getting started on that process that, um, you know, that is, that is difficult. And, um, I'm sure that this happens with people who over drink as well, but in people who, who overeat, the rules come right on back, right? And as soon as those diet rules enter the brain, like it, that's, that's kind of it. That's, um, that's the end. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we talked a little bit about the importance of managing your emotions and allowing yourself to feel those uncomfortable feelings that often lead you to turn to to food and alcohol. But another piece of this is, you know, watching your thoughts and managing, you know, the thinking that you have, you know, around this as well. So um, I'd be interested to hear, you know, what sort of thoughts um, tend to get in the way for people who are trying to stop
1: over drinking? Yeah, I think that I'm glad you brought that up. Actually, when I have I have a worksheet that I provide to my clients um, where they collect their urges, their allowed urges. And then what I want them to do as well, in addition to looking at the total number, we dig into that second layer of what was going on for me right now and what was the thought that was driving the urge. Mm -hmm. And we always want to believe that it's way too many. Like I can never manage the 60,000 different thoughts in my head. But what I want to offer is that they're just, they're, for everybody, there are a couple themes that are going on and you f- see it so directly when you start writing these down. Mm-hmm. So the typical ones for me were, I'll start again tomorrow. That was my, that was my big one. I'll start again 100%. tomorrow. I'll start again tomorrow. Yeah. And then I don't want to miss out. And I don't want to, you know, I deserve this at the end of the day. I find for a lot of my clients is that there's a lot of stress. There is a lot of, I'll say a lot of perceived stress that we figure out how to manage in mm-hmm. a different way because they've been doing it with alcohol. They've been managing right. their stress through alcohol. And then we figure out how to manage that in a different way through how we're thinking about things. Right. And so what you'll notice with this urge tracker is that there are a couple, there are a number of themes that will be unique to every individual that mm-hmm. are coming up. Like these are the underlying beliefs that we need to kind of, we need to uncover them so we can start looking at them and figuring and start unbelieving them. Because until we unbelieve them, they're going to continue to run in the background.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, you know, the first step is always awareness. Mm -hmm. Because I think when, when clients come to us, they're not necessarily aware of all of these thoughts that, Mm -hmm. that, that are driving all, you know, all, all of these behaviors and for, for weight loss, um, how I love to, to, to use the scale is for identifying (laughs) thoughts about our body and, and and, and everything else. So in, in our program, we don't care about the number on the scale. We don't define, you know, our goal weight by any number it's, mm-hmm. it's irrelevant, but all of our shit about how much we weigh in our bodies and our weight loss journey all comes up when we step on the scale yeah. and, you know, see that number. So one of the exercises that my clients go through is stepping on the scale every morning, not to monitor their weight, but to notice what. You know, mm-hmm. what thoughts come up um, and to also evaluate how they've been showing up for themselves in terms of their self-care, how they're eating, how they're moving their body, you know, all of those things and deciding before they even step on the scale, how they feel about, about, you know, all of that. And that's often you know, a great way for, you know, in terms of food to bring up, you know, all of the thoughts that, that tend to, to sneak in the other thing that we do. And I'm guessing you do this, you know, with alcohol too, is when you do, you know, you, you make your plan for what you're going to eat, you know, throughout the day. And then if you eat something that's not in your plan, if you have a drink that you didn't plan for, you know, then we've got, you know, some work to do about, you know, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? You know, what was the trigger that, that led you down this path? And that often, you know, sheds some light on, on what's really going on um, as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And, And if I could just add to that, I think that I actually, I like to reframe that experience as well. I mean, I think that it's mm-hmm. so easy to go down the path of I'm terrible. I'm never going to figure this out and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we have a little process where we set aside that have a little temper tantrum. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And then we set aside that self-judgment because I honestly, with all, every fiber in my body, believe that there is gold in that mistake. Like let's Absolutely. figure out what it was hundred mm-hmm. yeah. percent, and use it for us. Yeah. Yeah. Feedback, you not failure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you can't yeah. access it when you've got self-judgment. Absolutely. There's like this yeah. armor that comes down and it's like, forget it. I'm not looking at that. And and it mm-hmm. makes sense when you know you're going to beat yourself up when you look at it. Right. So when we can set that yeah. aside and realize, you know, it's the most valuable information we can get. Way, you know, I, I'd mm-hmm. love to tell you that I've got all the answers. I don't have the, all the answers. The answers mm-hmm. are, are what has happened in your life.
0: Absolutely. Right. And I think <laughs> that self-judgment piece is so important to address, right. Cause we, you know, there's, there's that emotional piece and that, you know, needing to learn the skill of sitting with your uncomfortable emotions. You gotta, you know, figure out, you know, the thoughts that are coming in um, to sabotage you. And then you've also got to deal with the self-judgment because we all have it, you know, whether we over drink or overeat or, you know, whatever it is, I think the self-judgment is part um, of being human. And it's really challenging to set that aside and bring in some self-compassion and, you know, approach all of this with a little bit of, of curiosity and, and asking yourself that question. It's like, well, okay. You know, I had this drink that I didn't, I didn't really intend to. What can I learn from it? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um and I think I think that's why coaching is so important because without, you know, somebody there to guide you through um that piece, I'm guessing a lot of us just let that self-judgment piece rule rule the roost and we don't really get past that.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's where you find people that have been struggling with this for year year after year after year after year because they don't want to go to that place of really investigating because they feel like it's necessary to beat themselves up and that Mm -hmm. that will make them stronger that will make them change and there's Mm -hmm. so there's so much research now that shows that self-compassion is a much more effective way to create change Oh, a
0: hundred percent. Right. Like there's, there's this cliche phrase in the phrase in the weight loss world, you can't hate yourself then. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. true. And, and you, you can't hate yourself through, you know, drinking less either. Any change. Yeah. 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 Any, Any change all. Um, you know, just to pivot the conversation a little bit, we, we use the term over drinking and how does that, how do you differentiate that from, um, alcoholism and is there a difference?
1: So, uh, yeah, I do not work with alcoholics. Okay. What's interesting with, and, and actually they don't even use that phrase anymore. They use mm-hmm. alcohol use disorder. Sure. So, yeah. which I think is, is, I'm happy that they've switched that because alcoholism says that there's something wrong with the individual versus with the the substance itself. So I don't work with people that have technically an alcohol use disorder because Mm -hmm. in those cases, rehab or an abstinence only model is more appropriate and they need more intervention, I would say. So Mm -hmm. I work with people who are kind of in this gray area of drinking where- Mm -hmm they're just not liking the results that it's getting for them. Mm -hmm. So so it's going to be in terms of how many drinks or anything like that, that is not, that's going to be up to them on how they determine what that looks like in their life. Because I I mean, I even know with my clients right now, some of them it's across the spectrum in terms of how much they're drinking and and what goals they want to achieve. So Sure. It's,
0: it's it's more, it's more them feeling like they're over drinking and not liking the effects of that in their life versus some, you know, definition that you outline for, for how all these
1: things. Right. 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 I do say absolutely that if, if somebody identifies as having an alcohol use disorder, then I'm not Mm -hmm. the right person for them. I would, I Mm -hmm. want to help get them the, the support that they need absolutely and it's the same in my world as well if
0: somebody has an eating like a um a diagnosed eating disorder mm. you know versus disordered eating <laughs> which mm-hmm. is something a little bit different um i tend to refer those off to um to other Other professionals as well, for sure. I think that's an important um, distinction to make because I find that when women come to me, it's because they've tried literally everything else and they're frustrated. And you know, this thing called coaching might (laughs) like that's the last thing that they that that they haven't tried. And and I'm wondering if this comes out in your world as well. But um, I often do a fairly comprehensive intake process because lots of women who struggle with overeating have, you know, history of, you know, big T traumas and, um, you know, other things that they haven't necessarily, um, spoken of, um, elsewhere mm-hmm. in their life. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's another instance where I think that, you know, that person might, might be best referred off to, yeah. you know, to, to, to a healthcare professional or mental healthcare professional, um, before they come, before they come work with me. Yeah. Um, and is, is that something that you see under, lying over drinking as well
1: um, I think that there's probably a connection i I know that I've got a number of clients that are working with me at the same time they're working with a therapist sure so yeah. and that that teamwork effect seems seems to be working pretty well mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah absolutely and and i've I've got a couple of clients in that in that same boat as well mm-hmm. and I think it just comes back to how special coaching is and the space that it provides to allow people who overdrink or overeat to explore all of the things that brought them, that brought them to this place. Right. And yeah. oftentimes we never know. And I find, and I'd be interested to know what your experience is, but I find often clients want to know, like they, they want to know like why, why, why why do i use food differently than than other people like how how did this happen and you know we can talk about the neurobiology behind all of this for sure but um i find you know people want a reason like they they want a story you know to tell um to tell about all of this and a lot of the work that we do is kind of letting go of this need to to understand that piece and to move forward in a different way.
1: Well, yeah, for sure. I think that coaching is so much uh, about looking forward versus mm-hmm. you know, understanding what it is underlying what are the underlying beliefs that are keeping an, us in this repetitive behavior and then mm-hmm. unbelieving them, moving forward with new ones. One thing Absolutely. that's curious that, that that's interesting though about overeating in particular is that you know, normal eating looks like, I don't know, what is it? 75% of the U S is, is obese. It's considered Mm -hmm. obese. So, I mean, do you really want to be a normal eater? (laughs) Right. Yeah.
0: Right. No. Yeah, for sure. um,
1: And I don't actually have what those numbers are from an alcohol standpoint. What I do know, if I could take this on a little bit of a tangent is that, uh, related to the pandemic is that U.S. women, anyway, have reported that their heavy drinking days are up by 41% if we look at the pre-pandemic to, you know, during the pandemic. So that's, I mean, that is unbelievable, really, when you think about those numbers. So, and there's
0: very similar data for um, for overeating and weight gain over the pandemic yeah. um, as well. Yeah. I actually read a study, and this was this was related to eating, not drinking. The study looked at how people ate before the pandemic, during the first wave of the pandemic, and then kind of after the first wave, where we had a little bit of a break, and you know related a lot of it back to um, a sense of control. So. Yeah people who felt like they had lost control over their lives over the pandemic tended to turn more, you know, to food, to have a sense of control. Mm -hmm. And people who um, still felt like they had some agency over their lives during the pandemic did not. And so it it would be interesting for me. I I would love to know, like over the whole course of the two years of this pandemic, kind Mm -hmm. of how that changed, because I'm I'm sure as it went on and people had, you know more restrictions and felt less in control yeah. of of their lives if, if these behaviors um you know changed a little bit of as well and then of course you know so many of the things that we would turn to for comfort you know spending time with friends you know going out to do certain activities were all kind of taken away from from us and so you know a lot of mm-hmm. people had to find new ways to to cope and what's easy food and alcohol right <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the drinking because of stress, when they look at the rates of drinking after any sort of catastrophic Mm -hmm. event after nine 11, after Katrina, after, you know, anything like that, then drinking rates go up. Yeah. So it makes sense for sure that people turn to drinking the same way they do overeating during events where they feel like they're out of control and they want that.
0: And, you know, my, my clients who overeat and also overdrink, and I love it. I have one client who refers, who refers to it as her witching hour. So there's a Mm -hmm. specific time of the day where Mm -hmm. everything kind of comes to a head and she feels very overwhelmed. And that's what, you know, drives her um, to, to have a drink. And Mm -hmm. that absolutely became um, exacerbated during, um, you know, during The pandemic as as probably got a little
1: earlier and earlier, too. I would imagine on the internet, there were all the memes that were going around about, you know, how to. Well, I remember actually Trader Joe's had a, they had an an exhibit, an exhibit. No, they had a display right around going back to school and it was like stock up for back to school Mm -hmm. over this huge wine display. Of course. I know. Yeah. So, yeah. And, I, obviously like people pass it around because it's funny and all that stuff, but there is a subliminal message in there that you can't deal with your children and homeschooling your children unless you're drinking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and, and yeah. we are willing participants in that. Yeah. And is that truly, when you think about it from that standpoint, is that really what you want to sign up for? Yeah. You know, Absolutely. in the moment, it's just, I want to get through this. Mm-hmm. And here's a, an immediate tool that I can utilize. But long term, you know, I want something different for my life. Yeah. And so absolutely. we we kind of explore some of those things and absolutely. piece apart what are the societal messages that we get because mm-hmm. it's the alcohol is very much of our culture. Yeah. And I I wonder like this might actually be a difference between
0: overeating and overdrinking is that there is definitely a stigma attached to women who live in, in bigger bodies, right? There's 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 this weight bias um that mm-hmm. exists. And I wonder how how people feel the world looks at them if they overdrink. Because I, you know, I, I just look at how how the people in my in my in my professional circles, even in the, in the hospital, will, you know, will talk about drinking and it's almost a source of pride, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. that that's certainly not something that we see, you know, when women who struggle with overeating, there's there's lots of shame there. And I imagine there is shame in over drinking um, as well when you're when you're not comfortable with the amount that you're drinking. But is there shame yeah. that comes from, and stigma that comes from, you know
1: outside as well? Um, I think that's a really interesting distinction between the two, because mm-hmm. you know, you kind of wear your weight, and so it's mm-hmm. visible to everybody. Mm-hmm. I do feel like the shame is the same, mm-hmm. or there's similar shame, because it's the inner knowing of mm-hmm. something's wrong, mm-hmm. I don't like what's happening.. Mm-hmm. And it's still, and it butts up against what society is saying, which is everybody should drink Mm -hmm. and you should be having a good time, which I think that a lot of people do have a good time in the moment. But if we pull out and consider the whole picture, then, you know, waking up at three o'clock in the morning and having this racing mind that's saying, oh yeah, did I say something wrong last night? Or, you know, the next morning when your kids say something to you and you're like, I don't really remember that or making bad food choices. you know, that next day, because you're trying to feel better. Right. And then you hit the five o'clock witching hour and you need a drink in order to feel better because you drank the night before. Right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So it becomes a cycle, but I I do feel like the shame is there. It's like Mm. everybody else is doing it and they're fine. Something's it's not working fine for me, but I can't really admit that because if I admit that, then I have to go sit in a church basement. Yeah. And, you know, and it's abstinence only. And then I've really got a problem. Right. But there is hope. And that is that is the message that I really want to provide to everyone that I talk to is like, mm. if you're not liking the results you're getting, there are options. There are there options. Definitely are options. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And something you said in there made me think, I imagine as it's the same with food, that that a prevalent thought out there is you can't have fun without, without alcohol or that things Mm. are more fun. If alcohol is present, you know, it's the same with food. You can't, you know, a a party is less fun if there's no food there, right. You can't have a birthday party without birthday cake. Right. Right. And it's, it's like, I, we just went through this with, with my husband, like he can't watch the super bowl, you know, without a beer and a plate of nachos. It's just not Mm -hmm. as fun. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, how do you,
1: how do you coach people through this, this idea that, you know, alcohol means fun, Right, right. That is um, it is such a prevailing belief. Absolutely. And and we explore different things like does it really matter what's in your glass? Really and truly, if you think about that. Yeah. Does it matter? A lot of people believe that it helps them connect. If you think about it from your own experience, does it help you connect? Or are you thinking more about, you know, where's the waiter? my my glass is full or you're buzzed and you're actually not listening to what your best friend is telling you when she's pouring her heart out at you. Right. Or you don't really remember it very well the next day. Is that truly connection? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I know for me, when I show up and I'm focused on the people, then I'm connecting. Right. Versus when I'm thinking about what is in my glass? So that's how I like to phrase it. Like, yeah. does it matter what's in your glass? Honestly, I love it. I love it. You know, yeah, I yeah. like how your, your dad recommended that you just have something in your hand, mm-hmm. you know, have something in your hand. That's fine. But mm-hmm. does it matter what's in there? Really? Yeah. yeah. I,
0: I, that's a great question. I love that. And then the other things that I hear also is alcohol helps me relax. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's been a long, hard day and I
1: deserve this right now. Like th- those are the other two, two totally. that I hear a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. And so, and okay. So the science would say that for tw- the first 20 minutes, it does help you relax. Mm-hmm. And then the brain wants to maintain homeostasis. And so then it is actually, <laughs> it is giving you some cortisol. Mm-hmm. It is actually giving you <laughs> stress hormones. hmm in order to balance out what's going on in your brain. Yeah. So from a scientific standpoint, it's actually creating more stress in your body than it is. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Is, um, yeah. Relaxing you. Yeah. No, but that's looking at it over the longer term. Mm-hmm. So that first 20 minutes, yes, it will kind of relax you. So we, we talk about how to create more sustainable relaxation. Mm-hmm. That is not dependent upon an outside substance. Right. How we generate that inside Mm -hmm. that's so important. So, you know, you've always got yourself with you. So, if you can figure out how to do it on your own, then it doesn't matter what's in your glass.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, like, I, I, that's such an important point. And, you know, I'm sure you find this, um, in coaching people through over drinking as well, but when we coach through overeating, everything in life gets better, right? We solve Mm -hmm. the overeating, but because we have to teach people to manage their emotions, you know, to manage their minds, to, you know, exchange that self-judgment for self-compassion, we teach them how to find joy in places other than, you know, food and alcohol. Um, we we teach them how to relax and manage stress in a different way. And then their whole lives just become am- amazing. And it just Absolutely. goes to show like why, you know, some of the more traditional programs for overeating and overdrinking, you know, just don't work because they don't address the bigger, the whole person in which the drinking or the, the overeating occurs. Right. I think right, like that that right. is the magic of coaching.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I will say there is a period where, you know, we kind of get into this work and it stirs a bunch of stuff up. Yeah. And a lot of crap comes to the surface. Absolutely. And that's where a lot like it's, it's kind of scary. I remember going through that myself for Mm -hmm. sure. And the way that I like to think about that is kind of like how I clean my kitchen. Like when I'm doing a deep clean of the kitchen, it gets really messy before it gets cleaned up. Like we pull yeah. all the stuff out of the fridge and all this. I mean, it, it's a disaster. It looks like a bomb has gone off in there, mm-hmm. but it's important mm-hmm. because we need to look at all that stuff and make sure that we're keeping the stuff that we want to keep. I like that analogy because that's really what we're doing with the thoughts in our brain. Mm-hmm. We're pulling them out. Like, is it true? Do I want to keep the thought that I can only have fun when I'm drinking? Right. Because if I believe that, then yeah, I can resist it for a little while with willpower. But I'm gonna—I'm definitely getting back on that. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> on more. that hamster yeah. wheel. Absolutely, no more. question. Yeah. So I think during that phase where a lot of stuff comes up, I think that you know, I, I talk to my clients about how that's important, and that's not like that's a good sign. That's a good sign. That means that things are
0: changing absolutely yeah and it's i love that analogy as well of of cleaning out your kitchen and mm-hmm. because it i feel like there there's a point there's a point in this process where people go through the motions right and they're excited about it it's something new um it's novel they're all in and then Right. And then all of this stuff comes to the surface and, you know, it's not, it's not fun anymore. And this Mm -mm. is often the point where, you know, some people want to quit because we have the, you know, we have this group of people who, um, you know, choose to overeat to soothe or buffer or anesthetize their uncomfortable emotions. And then all of a sudden we bring all of those Uncomfortable emotions up, and if you're mm-hmm. not eating and not drinking to buffer those, then you know you're you're left with actually witnessing what's there when 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 you take right. the food and, and the alcohol away, and that absolutely. is not an easy thing to do. But it's exactly where all the magic is, right? That's where you become a badass. That's honestly. where you become a
1: badass. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Okay. My other yeah. analogy for that is when you get a puzzle. Like when you get the puzzle, it's so fun. I do the outside pieces Mm -hmm. and then I do like the really obvious, like the flower or, you know, the obvious pictures. Right. And then you're left with all the background stuff that is all the same color. And I mean, it's, that is grueling to me. Yeah. And I go through this phase of, oh my gosh, I'm sure, even though this is a brand new puzzle, I am sure that they forgot some pieces. Like I am (laughs) positive. I'm going to give up. (laughs) Like it happens every single time, Mm -hmm. every time. But the puzzles are not, the pieces are not missing. Yeah. Like all it requires is like just to keep going. Yeah. And then it'll work. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's part of putting the puzzle piece. That's part of putting the puzzle together. And the puzzle is you in figuring out how to stop overeating or stop over drinking, whatever it is. Yeah, just keep moving forward, and it will work. Mm-hmm.
0: It will work. It absolutely will work. I hope what this conversation has done is showing people that it's it's not about saying I'm only going to drink scotch and that's that's going to help me, right? Or right. you know, I'm only going to drink on Saturdays or, you know, what, whatever, you know, rules are you know, people are putting around um, and that addressing the issue of overeating really involves all of these things that we've talked about, addressing your emotions, your thoughts, the self-judgment, the beliefs that you have, all of the things, you know, learning how to um, fill the needs that alcohol is, is, is filling for you in, in other ways, um, in healthier ways that doesn't involve, you know, food or social media or, you know, shopping or, you know, what, what whatever it is, right. shopping's right. a big one for women who overeat, um, okay. as, as, as well, like, you know, that, that comes, that comes up a lot, but all of these things that we do that, you know, make us feel uncomfortable that we do them. We feel uncomfortable because we know that it's just masking, you know, bigger things that are calling out for for our attention. Yeah. And once yeah. we give those things our attention, we're able to create the the lives that we really that we really want for each other. Yeah. Beautifully said. Absolutely. All right. Well, I, I think that is the perfect place <laughs> to end this <laughs> off. Um, Caroline, do you have any last words of wisdom for us?
1: I think, you know, I really like to start off all of my calls with my clients when somebody comes to me with, you're not broken. Yeah. Your brain actually was designed to find these sources for dopamine hits. And so your brain's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Let's figure out how to use that same brain to unwind it.
0: Love it. Love it. And Caroline, if people want to know more about you and how to work with you, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. So my website, which is, I'll, I'll give you all that information so you can include it in the show notes, but it's Mm coaching.com. I will also include links to that craving hack as well as the urge interruption technique. But yeah, I work with clients one-on-one. I love having that space to be able to work with individuals. I know that for me as well, I didn't, I wasn't ready to go into a group setting to talk about over drinking because Mm -hmm. there is so much shame associated with that. Mm -hmm. So You know, I really like to be able to provide that to my clients as well.
0: Wonderful. And we'll make sure all of that information is in the show notes for you so people can find you if they need you.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you.
0: All right. There was, Caroline, lots of good tidbits to help with your overdrinking. Now, of course, we can't address weight loss without addressing the drinking as well. And so all of the things that Caroline spoke about, all of the tips that she gave you in this interview, we put them into practice inside the Nourish Yourself Body and Mind program. Yes, this program is meant to help women lose weight and reach their ideal weight, But it is a coaching program, a full life coaching program, where we want to make sure that you are as healthy as you can be on the inside and the outside. And that includes improving your relationship with food and improving your relationship with alcohol. So if this is something that you need a little help and guidance with, we've got everything you need. Come check us out at www.nourishyourselfbodyandmind.com. And I look forward to talking to you again next week.